0: Medic One. Medic One in Bound to your facility emergency out of the 45-year-old now in Cardia Breath. Following multiple gunshot wounds. If you are in progress, Asian-based Iowa and Play. We're with you in five minutes. Welcome to the EMS Handbook, your source for all things EMS. And now let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Hello, and welcome to the EMS handoff podcast. This is David, along with my co-host, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean. Our Army guys tonight set us up well for success. Ground team, they got to wait for the A-10s to come in and save them, but going to have a little bit of fun tonight on this conversation. We're going to get into some educational topics, but before we do, let's go to Middle Tennessee and see what's up. Eric McCullough.
1: Um, nothing on my end other than great weather. I know, we always talk about weather like this is how we know we're adults because every single podcast it's always like, oh gee, I know how they're gonna lead off the first like five to ten minutes of just talking about the weather because they're like old men. So I completely get it. so um I actually don't have a whole lot going on. I know your voice is hoarse because you got to go to a cool football game and you got to see. I, I think it's I will say this. I will think it's I do think it's awesome that people are finally getting out and going to places because all the fall festivals around my area, like Bell Buckle Craft Bear, um, weird fall festivals on their first year have hundreds and thousands of people just showing up. So that's kind of nice.
0: Well, the the one thing about it is we can say we were running the only football games that made it to every major news outlet uh, this weekend. Uh, You know, not even Alabama and Georgia could really say that. Uh, uh, Not necessarily for the good things that occurred, but, uh, you know, Eric, we we can say, you know, hey, we talked about the weather. I went to Lowe's today to install a new sink and, uh, you know, all those adulting things, right, it's Um, That's going to be what this podcast is about. Hey, how to adult in EMS here in the future. But uh, in that case, let's go to the adults on the other end of the spectrum here. in North Carolina, Bradley Dean, what's up, my friend?
2: Oh, great weekend. Uh, Got to put my
0: toes in the sand a little bit, so it was great. Toes in the sand, man. We got, uh, well, we'll we'll put it this way. Got home from the football game about 2 o'clock. Uh, this morning, and it was not uh, toes in the sand weather uh, at that point in time. It was a little cool. We got we had, we had a nice little cool front came through this weekend. It was nice. Uh, so uh, I was I was just informed it wasn't sand. It was the litter box. Oh mm-hmm. well, okay, that's a different no. thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, different sand. No, <laughs> we, right. we we spent a little time on the beach. It was good. It
0: was good. Nice. Uh, can't can't complain too much about that. I do have to say. Uh, I get a phone call from my daughter today. She's like, Hey, uh, by the way, before, uh, I guess this is a good time to tell you that I'm in North Carolina right now. So they decided to get up at four o'clock this morning, and go over to max patch. So she's like, uh, in case you start looking, that's why I'm in North Carolina. So, um, yeah. it is kind of strange to think we, we, you know, we think about North Carolina being so far away, but from our house, it's actually probably almost closer than one of our main campuses is that's uh, it's kind of uh, interesting. So, yeah, she was over, I guess, uh, donating to the sales tax collection there in North Carolina to, to help support you guys. <laughs> I do that every now and again. So before we get started on today's topic, we want to make sure and give a shout out to our podcast partner, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Jim's has been an industry leader in the profession for many years. And while we are your source for all things EMS and the podcast verse, Gems, is your industry leader for EMS news. Make sure and go by their website, gems.com, and find out everything that's going on in the profession, as well as see all of our prior episodes, as well as our fellow podcast hosts. Uh, They've got a lot of great people that are out there talking about different things in EMS. So make sure to follow the EMS Today podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And you see all of us in our gear right now, we're going to have to find a way to get uh, our guest today in some EMS handoff gear because uh, the rest of us are wearing our original logos today. Don't forget to go by The Pursuit Company at the, thepursuitco.com. Love everybody. They're like showing off. The, oh, wait. Sorry. I said everybody in their originals. we got Eric McCullough in his key back line and then uh, Bradley in the nice gray original. I got our hoodie on. It's a little bit chilly today. So don't forget to go by The Pursuit Co at thepursuco.com. Find your EMS handoff merchandise. Uh, they will get it to you anywhere in the country uh, within short order. So make sure and go by and check them out. So Eric McCullough is going to be introducing our guest today. So go ahead and kick it off, sir.
1: All right. Well, it's not. I, um, I have a. I have a guest on, um, but the topic's going to be Bradley's topic that he brought up. But before we get to the topic, I wanted to first introduce who we have here, which is Greg Johnson. I consider him a close friend. A colleague, and most of all, uh, just he's an outstanding um, resource and an outstanding educator here in the Middle Tennessee area. He is the EMT and AMT coordinator over uh, Columbia State Community College's um, EMT and Advanced EMT program, a highly successful program. Um, Can't say enough good things about the guy. Um, He'll pay me later. But um, he said he's a, he's a great advocate for EMS education. Any of his students and, his, and the faculty that work with him and paramedics have worked with them before will know this, too. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to have him come in and, and speak on our topic, which brings me to Bradley, the topic that you brought us here for.
2: So somebody posed a question to me, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's something I've been thinking a lot about and looking at because Today, we are dealing with the changes in EMS education that started five or so years ago, and we're starting to see kind of the product of that uh, really hitting the streets. So what we see is we see education, we see the didactic, and then toward the very end of the didactic, the way the things are supposed to be set up when you look at the accreditation of the EMS and everything else, then you go into the clinical or the hospital side of it, and then Pretty much when you're done with the didactic, students move into the field. So the question is, how do we provide better context for the things that we teach in the classroom? And would it be better to introduce students to clinical much earlier so they can learn, basically get all their skills and stuff out of the way? And let's turn them into clinicians versus skill junkies.
0: So... I, I really love this topic. And I think we're, uh, you know, we, we've kind of bounced back and forth between that 30 minute and hour range. I think we could honestly make this a multi part, uh, multi hour episode because there's a ton of information to unpack as we go here. But the first thing I'm going to do is tell uh, Bradley the, the way that you do that is not follow that direction uh, that he gave you as far as breaking down this clinical settings. Um, but I, I'm actually going to pose this question first. I'm going to toss it to Greg. Um, so I'm gonna see what his answer to this. This is actually from our last accreditation site visit. Uh, and, and we've actually incorporated this question to a few different places. What is the difference between a clinician and a technician?
3: I think the the biggest thing uh is that you have a more rounded approach to healthcare. It's it's not just a, a cookbook style. Um, this is what the textbook tells me to do. So I have to do this in every situation, but instead I'm using um, all the, the things that I'm finding my patient's presentation uh, through, throughout my assessment with that patient uh, to do a better job in treating uh, my patient and during the transport uh, to the hospital.
0: So I'm going to give credit to Dr. Mike dorset uh, That was her question that she uh, liked to pose. And I think it's uh, one of those that's great out there. And I, it's almost like Greg had some practice with that. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of people in this profession that that, that question really gets a lot because the idea of, behind it is there there's a lot to say in the pre-hospital setting we are the technicians we go out and 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 find and do what they tell us to do and then the the physician stuff like that but i think the way ems is changing and a lot of this we see with et3 and uh the treat in place legislation and um the uh field termination for resuscitation guidelines that are coming out we're really transforming this profession especially uh, even, you know, a lot of this started occurring pre-COVID, but uh, kind of exacerbated during the COVID situation that, you know, we are going to primary treatment uh, providers uh, and practitioners. So um, I'm going to start off, Bradley, and before I kick, over, kick it back over to you for just a second, um, you know, this is one where we kind of have to break our levels down just a little bit, you know, um, for our EMT and advanced EMT programs are one semester in duration. There's some things that are coming about that are shaping those just a little bit, which Greg is, Greg is involved in as well. And then our paramedic program is three semesters. Uh, so one of the things you know that we do is to start their clinical rotations at all three levels as early as, as humanly possible, uh, because we want them taking those skills directly into the field and they actually have, come back with some questions like, hey, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, this is what I thought, this is what they said, and I wasn't exactly sure, so we were able to um, take that and, and dive into the, the materials just a little bit deeper, and especially our paramedic program, you know, over a year, um, you know, that last semester, the Capstone semester is supposed to be when, you know, they're primarily in the field. We start in the field first semester, uh, coupled with our hospital rotations as well, so that they are incorporating both uh, of those areas because we want them to know the why behind the what. So um, you know, with that, what is the advantage, Bradley, to changing this context in the education setting based on that adage to making them clinicians over technicians?
2: Well, I, I, I think one of the one of the biggest things is, is what we've got to look at is students often move into clinical and their focus is I've got to get X number of IVs. I've got to get X number of airway management. I've got to get um, X number of medication administrations. And, and the problem is, is they tend to focus more on the skills and less on the whole patient. And when they're doing that, I, I believe what we're, beginning to do is we're losing the focus of the of the context right now we've got students that know how to perform psychomotor skills but the question is is do they know when to perform them, or more importantly sometimes why not to perform them
0: so with that greg uh what bradley just said uh, you know why to perform them. How do you take that question and incorporate that into the classroom in your preparation for the EMTs and advanced EMTs?
3: It's a great point. And you brought up, uh, the we started offering uh, this past, probably two years ago now, uh, a new class. We call it an integrated program where we combine, you mentioned EMT and AMT being a single semester uh, class apiece. And so we've combined those two classes. Actually, Eric uh, helped build that uh, prior to his departure. uh, And I got to take credit for it. So it's kind of fun. But uh so we've basically combined those two single semester programs into one. Uh And and what that does is it, it increases the amount of clinical time those students have to go on. Uh, but because of that, I can't wait. First of all, it, it's, it wouldn't be possible for me to wait until the end uh, of all of their, their lecture and, and psychomotor uh, content to then send them out uh, to clinical. I have to time- you know, they're in a class so many days a week and so many hours in a day, I can't wait until a certain point in the semester to to allow that to happen. So uh, we do just like you mentioned with your program, David, start our students very early on uh, in that. So you know, do they have every skill uh, that they need? Have they been taught that in class, every skill that they're going to need to use on that clinical? No. Um, But kind of to what Bradley was talking about, I think the biggest thing we make sure before our students start clinical is that we've gone over that assessment, the uh, process. So your medical assessment, uh, and even a little bit of the trauma assessment, uh, they know how to take vital signs, they've done CPR, uh, everything after that is, is uh, something that, that, those students are going to see sometimes for the first time on that clinical before we've actually covered that material or covered that skill uh, in class, but they've got that foundational assessment component that helps them start uh, going toward those. um, I I call them radar screens or or satellites to help kind of get to that, that field uh, determination or field diagnosis or field uh, impression to treat that
2: patient.
1: Do you, so do you see them kind of take the transition from, Um, since y'all do get them in early, do y'all see them start to make transition from like being a, um, technician where they're following kind of like check sheets, guidelines and stuff to that clinician, like, like midway through the semester after they've done a certain number of hours where you're like, okay, I'm starting to see them develop the clinical acumen even in the semester.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think our uh, our clinical feedback forms that we get from the, their preceptors would point to that as well. So early on, obviously, they're very scared. Uh, you know, this is a brand new thing to them. Uh, but as they go throughout the semester uh, and, and kind of build on those skills, um, it, I think they get more comfortable knowing their own ability and how they're going to be able to get those skills throughout that clinical uh, versus, uh, you know, if you waited till the end uh, and I send a, let's say an AMT student to an an emergency room to do a clinical, a 12 hour shift to get IVs. Um, they're just, I do believe that they would be so focused on just chopping patients down the line to get IVs versus actually worried about, you know, seeing the content in the clinical and getting the most out of that clinical.
0: Well, uh, you made some really good points in there, Greg. And one of the things, uh, you know, on the paramedic side, this is when, I, when I'm talking to them about their clinical rotations, it's kind of the way I mentioned it to them. I said, look, your first semester is primarily taking the skills that we teach you in the classroom and putting them to use. The second semester is continuing that process. Uh, and, and trying to get as much access to as many of the skills in the field as possible, but you're starting to learn that process of being the paramedic. And then on the third semester, you are that paramedic. And so it's actually putting that gauge and saying you're here, you're here, and then it's you is kind of changing. And we're, we're bringing that mentality in the EMT and advanced EMT side saying, hey, when you go out, your first steps are to just take this information and put it to use. Figure out how that traction splint feels or that, uh, you know, the a SAM splint or an oxygen uh, non-rebreather mask or, you know, something. And just figure out how to communicate to the patient what you're doing. And then by the time you get done, even as an EMT, you should be thinking like the paramedic on the back of that truck. You should be able, because if, if you're on the fireside rescue or even on a BLS service doing inter-facility transfers, you, you may be the person. And so you can't think of this just as a skill. You have to think of this in your interview and such stuff like that. And so um, part of that conversation does lend outside of the classroom as well in setting up both the lecture and the didactic or sorry, the lecture and didactic, the, the didactic and psychomotor in such a way that it's no longer we're going to do a, you're, you're there for a blind airway insertion device, or you're there for an innovation. You know, everybody comes into paramedic going, I want to learn how to innovate. We can teach anybody how to innovate. It doesn't take very long. Hey, do this, lift here, insert tube, you're done. Um, but what we are there to do is manage the airway. Is the endotracheal intubation, or is that blind airway insertion device, the end all be all what you need to manage this and the answer is possibly not in fact it could possibly hurt if you don't pre-medicate or you know some other stuff right
3: i think that's the importance there it's just like you said it's, it's not so much teaching the actual skill but trying to have the 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 technician become a clinician to figure out when do I apply that seal? Do I need to innovate this patient or would a supraglottic airway, would a King airway be the appropriate airway choice here? Uh, and, and so I, I agree. And, kind of going back to what you said earlier we're doing the same thing on the emt and amt side um I, so i brought in from the paramedic side uh where in that last semester they get the team leads uh, they are the paramedic it's their their call they're running the show so i bring that in now in the last two to three clinicals that our students run uh, they have to or they're supposed to be the team lead. so they're supposed to run that call uh, as the als provider on that truck now obviously if the the skills that the, the patient needs are at a higher level the paramedic has to step in and perform that but i expect the student by that last two to three clinicals to be running that call uh, because they may not be staying in Tennessee. These providers that we're educating here may be going to neighboring states where they are going to be the the supreme leader on that track uh, for for that shift. And and it's going to be their call. And so I I want to see that progression uh, that you're not going to see if I think if we just said, okay, here's your here's the didactic portion of what you're learning. Here's all your skills. Now go forth and you've got to have 50 IVs uh, in the next four weeks.
1: Yeah. So, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bradley.
2: No, I, I was just going to say, I was, I was going to run that rabbit hole for, for just a minute. Cause you, you brought up into tracheal innovation and other things, you know, how many times do we have students to, you know, drop the, the ET tube or put in that blind assertion device into a mannequin uh, that, that's on the table. And then they pull it out. and The next person comes by and puts it in. When we teach people, hey, you need to reconfirm the airway after each move. The problem is, is how many times do we actually let the student secure the airway, move the patient in the classroom to reinforce what we're teaching versus oh, uh, just put it in, all right, take it out, next person steps in. Because in the field, if I intubate a patient and there's, it's a successful resuscitation or if it's a trauma, you know, I'm going to move that, that patient a minimum of four to five times before I turn over that care.
3: So that's as far as uh, kind of what we do, I think that gets into a lot of our simulation training as well. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we we use a product and I, I don't know about giving uh, shout outs or endorsements on this podcast, but we use that simulate products. And so we build those scenarios uh, into our simulations uh, when we run those frequently with our students so as you know we we say okay we're we're here we've resuscitated this patient now we're going to move them we've got a, a an ambulance box simulator in the classroom that we now load that patient on a stretcher and into that box and now as soon as we get that patient load in the ambulance i can change a scene to where they start to desat uh and the the, the students have to think okay you know, did my supraglottic airway, is something wrong with it? Or do I now have, you know, do I need to consider that, that dope mnemonic when we're dealing with paramedics and talking about uh, innovation? So we try to mimic what you're talking about there as much as we can with, with the available tools we have simulation wise. uh, So that hopefully again, kind of going from that technician to clinician level, students can recognize, they can see that and recognize that hopefully uh, differentiate and treat that the proper way.
0: So I'm going to kick over to Eric in just a second, because I know he had a, a comment a second ago, but I do have one question for you, uh, Greg. How often do you toss a patient into your scenarios that are basically otherwise healthy and just dial 911?
3: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, we have uh, uh, Chad Hollingsworth, who teaches on our paramedic side, and he's famous for his uh, avocado pit poisoning uh, scenarios. So it, <laughs> it all depends, but not, I'd say probably not enough, honestly.
0: Well, and, and so the reason why I ask that is it, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, one of our instructors that uh, retired a couple of years ago, I uh, would love to still have him about, but it was basically known that, uh, you know, when I went through his program many, many moons ago, first and second semester, there was not a patient that you, that, that survived. They were going to die. You could do everything absolutely perfect. They would come back to life. And for some reason, five minutes later, they'd be dead again. Uh, and sometimes in the third semester, you would have an opportunity to save somebody, but chances are not really. And it's one of those things that now, you know, we, we spend so much time that they go to some of their testing, uh, scenarios and they're like, they fail because they're expecting the person to die. So they get a little bit proactive and they have to do something. And so one of the things that I found is, you know, let's just toss somebody in there. That's really otherwise healthy. Just dial 911 because they needed to go to the hospital. And so they get in, they're like, Oh. I've got to do this and this and this. We need RSI and innovate and, uh, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, why? So um, it just thought that question was kind of interesting. We'll come back around sure. to that. But Eric, you had something a second ago.
1: Yeah, no, I was, um, since we were talking about context, I think that was the hardest thing as an educator was to try to bring in some context. Cause as much as we like to think that uh, the book world reflects the real world. And when we say that, we kind of say it kind of pithy where we just kind of like, um, you know, um, that's what you do in the book world, but not in the real world, but not realizing that, no, actually the the book world, the studies that we see should reflect those standards. Um, and actually I was going to get into that whole simulation thing that, um, do you think that, driving simulations um, earlier on is helpful and engaging because I I think it does. I I can just tell you from experience from teaching that when it came to simulations, you got to see the gears going. Like you got to see how the amygdala impacted their higher order thinking skills. I will tell you, I'm guilty of never giving very not sick patients, which is, you know, as a paramedic that's working, um, you know, at, um, on the side at a pediatric clinic, realizing that 95% of my kids are fine. You know, they're not sick. They're coming to an urgent care. They got sniffles. They need lollipops and stickers. And I realized that. And, I, and what's funny is over the years I've catastrophized everything because I've been an instructor and I've created scenarios where I have created all these catastrophes. Like he was saying, the avocado pit poisoning, um, So it's, it's, we both know Chad and talk to Chad all the time. Um, I I should have him on here as soon as he's done nursing school. But um, what do you guys think about integrating simulations? Like, uh, if you're going to, if an instructor is listening to this or a a wannabe instructor is listening to this, like, how soon do you start integrating those um, simulations so that you can start getting some context to your training?
0: Well, I'm going to, you know, that that actually kind of, that question drove perfectly to the next part and uh, I'll kick you to Greg uh, right after, but you know, this is one of those things that if we were to basically tie this to basic human development, we're talking about crawl, walk, run, right? Obviously the first time that you have somebody put somebody in a traction splint, you don't want it to be in this mass casualty where there's 18 people laid out on the uh, ground. And, you know, you've got this, you know, command set up and, you know, everybody crying and uh, yelling and screaming and, uh, you know, helicopter sounds and sirens and all that going. You know, you you have to have an opportunity to develop some of the base or the, the, just the, the skill memorization, muscle memorization for some of these different skills, it's the way it is. And then you incorporate it into, you know, a, a uh, small one or two person scenario and then you can incorporate it into a larger where they have to then pick it's, you know, that, that scenario, you know, your, your intermediate scenarios, one where they know they're going to be doing a traction splint. And then the the last one is here's your ambulance and your equipment, and here's your patient. You figure it out. Right. Um, So with that in mind, uh, you know, I'm going to tie that to my question for Greg is, are our, are we preparing our next generation EMS instructors in this thought process, knowing that they come from a point in time that at one point they're sick, they get 15 liters of oxygen via non-rebreather and, you know, automatically get put on the monitor and get an IV. Are we preparing that next gen for that inclusion of this clinician type mentality?
3: Honestly, To answer that, I'd say probably not. And I'd say that's a twofold uh, and I can go down another rabbit hole on retention and and pass rates for National Registry. Um, But as far as preparing students in this in the simulation world, I don't think we are. I think we a lot of times are worried about so many other uh, components of education uh, that we don't focus enough just on that that skills uh, part of uh, making sure the students truly get from that technician and clinician level because we don't have the time to spend on it. You know, we get we get bogged down. uh, Like I was saying earlier, we get bogged down with pass rates and retention and and uh, wanting the students to be successful on national registry. And so do we how much time do we put over in that bucket and how much is left then to truly worry about the psychomotor component? um you know and and what you were saying earlier makes perfect sense you know we do i'll use american heart for example when we first you know day two of class we're teaching our students cpr and going through american heart bls and so when you first start that class right it's here's how to compress and here's where to compress and here's what it looks like go do it and then at the end of the class okay here's your testing here's your scenario you know you've got this you know you you know the patient's going to go into cardiac arrest and you're going to have to do cpr uh, and so that's great. But then taking that, you talked about crawl, walk, run, taking that a step further. And now, you know, here's your bag, here's your stretcher and here's where you're going to on campus. And like you said, you don't know what you're going to see. Um, having to manage that patient in that simulation setting uh, changes things, but I don't think as educators, I think it's something we we certainly need to improve on and make sure that, that we understand the importance of the diet or the uh, psychomotor side as well as is Purely passing national registry for a a, uh, a pass rate perspective.
0: So you know we we spend obviously a lot of time here, and we're not going to get into too much of the other healthcare professions. But you know, one of the things I find interesting as I talk uh, to individuals that are going through medical school, nursing school, PA, uh, you know, even the the graduate nursing programs and such. You know, it's kind of interesting because I think EMS really is on the cusp of of the development when it comes to some of these scenarios and simulation developments and putting people in those critical thinking opportunities earlier than even the physician programs that are out there, which I think is pretty cool uh, that we can be the ones that are on the forefront of that.
3: Does it matter though, I guess kind of to kick that back to you, does it matter that you know, you mentioned earlier our programs are a semester in length, right? So I'm taking a an EMT basic student who's had no medical background, no knowledge at all. Uh, I don't know about your case, but in my case, they don't even have to have had college level anatomy and physiology. Uh, so they come in and they've got to go in in 15 weeks, two to three days a week. They've got to go from know nothing to baby doctor, uh, you know, practicing almost as a, you know doctoral level, making those types of critical decisions. In a 15 week period to two day a week deal. So I, I, I love the discussion because, you know, you're talking about how we've got to be better. We've got to do better to get those students in the short amount of time that we have them to be the best that they can be.
0: So <laughs> Great segue. It's almost like we were thinking on the same uh, level there because you went directly to where I went to next, because most of the time when you walk into the classrooms and this isn't uh, saying a, a Greg classroom or Eric myself or, or Eric uh, Bradley is the commercial off the shelf textbook, you know, EMT, advanced EMT textbook with the PowerPoints that come along with it the test bank. We're one of the only professions that I know of that kind of compacts everything into one source, and have the mentality that that's it. Um, And you know, this is a this. I guess this really is a challenge. But and I see what Greg may be doing as well. But you know, it's kind of interesting. There there are a ton of different resources uh, that are out there. Just last week, we were talking about Foam Pride and they have uh, resources from EMT, advanced EMT, and paramedic levels, even critical care. Um, There are plenty of podcasts. We got flight bridge and EM crit. And uh, you know, we could, we could uh, medic mindset with ginger, you know, there's, there's so much stuff that's out there, but we can also pull from those uh, medical textbooks and nursing textbooks and, and, you know, pharmacology, even at the EMT level. Uh, So Eric, uh, sorry, Greg, you know, what kind of additional resources have you all started using?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that part of it is, is, uh, you know, like I said, we've got, we've only got such a short window uh, to teach these students. So when it comes to using those book provided PowerPoints, it's the easiest, simplest way to go about, you know, trying to cram that information in. But uh, I am a huge proponent of not using the book PowerPoints. And I've I've often uh, threatened my cadre Uh, if, if I could find a way to pull all those back and never let one of my instructors use those, uh, and make it illegal somehow, you know, punishable by the death sentence or something like that. Uh, that I would probably go down that route because I just hate those things. Um, and and I know I've had offline conversations with Eric before about uh, you know rewriting the textbook and or or not even using a textbook at all, instead saying um, let's use National Association of EMTs, let's use EPC and let's use TECC and PHCLS and uh, you've got your American Heart uh, BLS you know manual and Pairs manual and these sorts of things. Instead of having one textbook, use all the different publications that are out there uh, to teach this content to our students instead of one textbook uh, that just gets handed to them on day
1: one. And I I, I just want to say, because like that to me provides greater context for education because – Like, like you were saying, there's no you can't go to medical school. Me and David talked about this before. too. You can't go to medical school and figure out what medical books um, you need for school. It's like, well, it depends on the professor. Um, We've talked offline. Me and Greg have before about just doing away with the textbooks, because the idea is if the answer isn't in the textbooks, then then you're, then any questions that you ask is completely null and void. And that's bad because really good test banks don't go off of a textbook because the National Registry sure craft does it. The only thing I know that the registry for sure references is AHA standards when it comes to that. But that's it. There's really nothing else they really reference. I like the idea. I mean, you're right. It is convenient. The PowerPoints are convenient. The textbook is convenient too. It's one single source. All you have to do is buy that one thing everything's right there. The problem is it's not, not often updated. It's not, some of them are not that well-written. Some of them are way too technical and we have learning support students that come into these courses that are not reading at the 10th or 11th grade reading level. They're barely reading at the eighth grade reading level. I'm not saying the name Melissa PHTLS textbooks any better, but at least that is a resource they could use later on. So yeah, this having industry acceptable textbooks and references gets them used to hey this is this is the acronyms in our world this is what we reference this is what we use well
3: Do you, know you guys brought name? up you brought up podcasts you know that's something that we that we point our students toward um i, I know um he used to be a medical director in ohio where i'm from um uh, but dr pickett uh is down down in austin travis county in texas and he does a a, a podcast and i'm a couple weeks ago or well i'd say I had the students do it a couple of weeks ago, but probably two years ago now, he recorded a podcast on gas laws. Uh, And so when we were talking about that particular topic, uh, I had my students go and listen to that podcast and they had to do a little discussion post about it. So uh, I got them out of reading, you know, black and white words on a page and finding some other medium for them to get that content.
0: Well, you know, this is, uh, you know, there's a tremendous amount of conversation nationally about the flipped classroom. And, you know, we have a lot of resources that are available to us. And so, you know, <clears throat> what is it about uh, you know being in the classroom and taking a quiz, or you know being in front, you know, one, you know, what is it about you know assigning homework, assigning like you said, hey, do a discussion board post on on this topic, um, you know, I about a year ago uh, I finished uh, squadron officer college for the Air Force. There wasn't a single textbook we had <clears throat> about 20 classes that were required to complete the program and each one of them you know basically had uh a asynchronous lecture content that went with it and then you know once it got to a leadership theory or a uh, you know there was a a either a journal article that had been written on it or a study that had been a case study that had been done about an individual and this is where we can take and let loose some of these students to say, OK, you've got a week to, to read over, uh, you know, this area, you know, do some study on and find some resources and put a paper together.
3: Yeah, can I be uh, can I just be open hearted for a second about this is this is where it, it really bothers me as an educator and David, I think you'll agree with what I'm about to say. <laughs> at least in our realm of things, we have to take students, at least on the EMT and AMT side. I don't have interviews. uh, I don't have anything. that I hate to use the word weed students out, but, you know, basically students come in and they want to be an EMT or AMT. We, we accept them. They pay their money to be in the program. And as long as they, they pass the background check and pay tuition, they get to come in the program and they come in and, they don't want to study they don't want to do what's required you know to get through this and I and I so going back to using the book and using those powerpoints I think we've we've kind of felt like we have to 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 get everybody on that equal playing field because when you bring up flipped classrooms you know I can't get students right now to take notes in class and go home and study them much less be responsible enough to go read through that chapter or go read that resource uh, to come back in it's 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 certainly frustrating uh we're seeing more and more and and it's different causes i I think you know tennessee promise uh for example here in tennessee is a great thing uh that provides uh uh, tuition free uh, learning for our students when they come straight out of high school Uh, i think it's a great thing but it also is one of those that where we see a lot of parents say yeah either have to go to college or you have to get a job and students are choosing to come to college and they have no idea what they're getting into Uh, and kind of going back i I don't want to Stop there, but kind of going back to the first question that Bradley even brought up, part of the other reason, not just in time, but part of the other reason I make our students do clinical right away uh, is because I want them to be exposed right away to those uh, situations where they are in a, a four by eight box or however big it is, I, I don't know, uh, it, it, with a patient, a real live patient that's got a real live problem where their life uh, is hanging in the balance there and right away say, Okay, I either like doing this. This is something I, I'm gonna I enjoy doing and I'm gonna put my passion into, or I'm not gonna do it. I, I don't right. like this. This is not for me. And I have tons of students that will come, they'll they'll register in the program, they'll do everything, and then they go to that first clinical and they call me after it's over and say, Instructor Johnson, I'm done. I'm out. There's-
0: and that and we've actually seen that here recently. Uh, and it's kind of interesting is um, this semester itself, I actually received an email from one of our instructors who goes. The individual that I thought was probably going to be our most uh, or, or our best candidate to to complete the program just sent me a message and said he went on his first clinical rotation and realized he really wasn't up for this. Uh, you know, and and but, you know, I'd much rather see that individual kind of come to that realization and let's find, you know, him the spot that he wants to be. Because if that's the case, and he may get out and work three to four months. If that And then leave as well. And, you know, our our goal is to get those individuals out in the field that are there looking for a career and trying to make this uh, industry even better. So, um,
3: well, and that student going back to, you know, going back to the classroom, that student that you're mentioning there is not going to put in the extra time. They're not going to be as concerned about finding those resources and doing that flip classroom content because they're they're not passionate about this it's not something they enjoy doing so even if they they do make it through your program and get out and they work that four months you're talking about what kind of provider what kind of clinician have we have we set set loose there
0: so i'm going to kind of point directly to you guys because i uh you know i i know your the way that you all have your uh instruction set up as the academy style and uh, kind of push for that as well, and this is kind of interesting. It's you know as we talk about education, EMS education, and uh, specific, and looking to that public safety, public health type realm. You know, a lot of times we've kind of gone into those paramilitaristic environments, and you know, kind of using that discipline. But what I uh, wonder is, is are we kind of at a precipice, uh, are we at a crux in which we have to say? we have to kind of change the way that we educate now. Um, and instead of just saying, Hey, you will know, this is a PowerPoint. This is the book you go do to saying, Hey, you know, we need to find what motivates you to learn and inspires you to learn and empowers or impassions you to learn. Right.
3: Yeah. We, we had a, a Dr. Cawthon, my boss at, at the college, at the EMS Academy. We, we uh, have, have conversations about this quite frequently. Cause we do have that paramilitary style uh, academy approach and we've we've softened up i think eric was the bad guy and once he left it, we all started kind of just being now we're, we're just big teddy bears yeah i got it. it yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that's it yeah
3: ha- that happened <laughs> yeah so we have these conversations quite frequently and and uh we had a we had a lady from i believe she was from vanderbilt that came and spoke at a, a convocation a couple of years ago and she was talking about the gen Zers, and uh, i she kept making this point you have to meet them where they are and I remember Dr. Cawthon and I turned at each other while, while she was talking and said, no, we don't. Absolutely not. They're going to meet us where we are. Uh, and we we drew a line in the sand and put our foot down and said, absolutely not. But, you know, it, it, it seemed like literally the next week when classes started and we got that next group of students in, uh, I my jaw hit the floor. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing everything that this woman just talked to us about. I'm seeing in the classroom. And that paramilitary style approach didn't, didn't necessarily work with those students. I had to find a different way to help motivate them and and figure out what worked for those students. So it's a great point you brought up.
0: Now I I do want to kind of preface this, and I or I shouldn't say preface. I, I want to add to that because I think because of the way that we do operate the chain of command structure. You know, many places have you know the the line EMTs, AEMTs, paramedics that are out there, then your supervisors and deputy chiefs directors what you know whatever they're called you know this isn't a you know we soften because we are in a tough environment we need to prepare individuals to be ready for pretty much anything you know i know during my field career um i i was the one that found myself in places that uh you wouldn't really expect a a small single wing airplane stuck 50 foot up in the tree with two people in it at 10 45 at night and uh you know uh fire you know it, you so you do have to prepare those individuals but you also have to find a way because just by telling them you will go do may not go do so it's a it's a balance and it's almost a slack line balance to say you know i may be falling over one way or the other but uh, you know, you keep that structure and that discipline, while also, for lack of a better term, tugging on those hard Yeah,
3: I agree. It, it's we use the word grace a lot. So figuring out, um, you know, where's the the right line of of toughness and and grit uh, versus also understanding grace and allowing people to to. Uh, kind of build up and get to where they need to be uh, and understanding where they have to be to be in this profession. Um, You know, I I tell my students, my thing is respect. Um, You've got to learn, you know, you talked about, you know, knowing sergeants and captains and lieutenants and all these things. Uh, My thing is respect. You've got to know right away that the EMS, we operate a little differently. We have a thing called chain of command. Um, All those components come in. So my students have to learn that whether they like that or not. Uh, they, that's that's that is a something that we are not going to move on. It's not something that we can get soft on. The students have to learn that about our profession. But when it comes to teaching the psychomotor skills or expecting them to be, um, you know, an A plus student right off the bat, part of that, I think we we can move on a little bit and give those students a little grace and and help educate them how to do what they're doing better, how to how to learn better. Um, I know in, in my role, it's not just about teaching them about medicine. It's about teaching them how to learn about medicine and understand uh, medicine. And I think that
0: comes into play there too. So we've we've had quite a bit and we it sounds like we've kind of, I, I, I'm going to say this, it sounds like we've gotten off the topic of developing the context of that clinician of the provider, but I really think you know everything is kind of sitting in that realm that, you know the deeper as our full-time adjunct faculty, Uh, are not just in initial education, but really in any of our realms, whether it's, you know, those that are teaching research, CPR classes and ACLS and PALS and uh, TCCC or TECC and, uh, you know, all those classes, you know, it's kind of changing that mentality to, it's not just another class you're coming to, we're going to create and inspire and, and do a new class so that we can get deeper and better understanding uh providers that are out there so the more we know the more we care the more we pass on to our students uh the more when they go on and they turn around and precept they are also building that uh and I, you know because really i think this is all you know so i'm going to use this as an example there's four of us that are on here uh, greg's our instructor uh and he's out there you know bringing all this and hey we need to do this but eric and bradley they're the two out there on the the road, and I'm I'm the student. If I go out there, and Eric and Bradley basically tear down everything that Greg is doing, I'm influenced. Like, hey, you don't really need to listen to him because you just put this oxygen on, stick this needle, and put him on the monitor. We'll get him to the hospital, and they'll do everything else there. So you know, it's all of us that are involved through all the levels to build that next generation student to come out better than even we were now. So. All right, I'm going to go around the table here and kind of wrap up this evening and kind of take this context in EMS education to create that clinician over the technician and uh, just give us your final thoughts, uh, any kind of shout-outs that you might have, and we'll go ahead and start with Greg, our guest, and get his final thoughts for tonight.
3: I think uh, the biggest thing first is knowing your team as an educator. Uh, you're, not on, you're not doing this on your own. You've got a team around you. Uh, and you just brought up having your your preceptors tearing down what you're trying to build up in the classroom. And I think it's important that first you start and make sure that your your cadre is. Uh, supporting and, and we're all seeing off the same sheet of music. And I'm very fortunate where I'm at, you talk about giving shout outs. I, I couldn't have any better of a team than I have at Columbia state with my cadre uh, and with Dr. Cawthon. So I I think that's first and foremost, is you've got to be strong. Your team's got to be strong. Uh, and then you've got to set a, a, a tone with your preceptors, the folks who are, your students are going to be riding with. Uh, they have to know that there's a level of expectation. I think that sets a, uh, Sets them up for success. I think it teaches them or or lets them know that this is where you're uh, intended on taking this profession. Uh, So if they're not there yet, that this is where you're training future uh, providers, future clinicians uh, to get to. Um, So you start there and then I think it goes right back to the classroom and making sure that you're getting this across to your students uh, and making them understand how important it is that, you know, I use the term cookbook medic, that you're not a cookbook paramedic, you're not a cookbook EMT, that you know how to think outside the scope of of just doing what the protocol says, because sometimes there are situations that will pop up where that protocol doesn't necessarily 100% apply to that that patient. And, and you have to think critically uh, to do what's best for your patient.
0: I think the one thing you have to think about is uh, how can you be a cookbook EMT or cookbook advanced for cookbook paramedic when you're not gonna have a cookbook patient uh, that is sitting out there. They, they don't follow the recipe. Uh, somebody, somebody present like a creme brulee and really they're just an Oikos Greek yogurt. You never really know. Uh, so Eric, what are your final thoughts for tonight? Uh,
1: yeah, pretty much just echoing what we've been talking about the whole time, which is um, the sooner you can get patients or students into seeing patients in real life, So that when in middle of the semester, when you are going over um, asthma or diabetic, you have at least six students in there who have seen these patients who have treated them, who've been around them. So they can provide some. So it hopefully will make more sense to them. simulations is another way to create good context. But it means good simulations. Um, You know, if if you build. Really terrible simulations that are really shallow with not a lot of development and time in it. The students are going to see right through it as a checkbox thing. It's not going to create the context. All it's going to do is create just a fun activity somewhat uh, that they kind of have to muddle through. So be thoughtful about how you want to engage and create the context.
0: No surface level simulations. I actually like that. That's, that's, that's really good. We've, we've had some really good ones that, and you watch the light switch on page or the, the students and it's great to see. So Bradley, you have the topic uh, generation for tonight. So go ahead and finish this up with your final thoughts. So one of the I would say
2: is we've got to make sure that we connect theory with actual real world apl- application. And, um, Contextual learning is, is not something that's new. Uh, American psychologist and uh, John Dewey once said, "Education is not preparation for life; education is life itself." So basically, what he was promoting is, you know, we're all lifelong learners. Each student comes with their own set of of previous contexts, their previous thoughts, their their gaps. What we have to do in the classroom and the lab and the clinical setting is, we have to take all of that and meet the students where they are, but at the same time, bring them to the next level. Uh, and we can do that by providing that context as we're going through a uh, different theory in the classroom.
0: Well, and I absolutely think that, uh, you know, we have honestly just scratched the surface tonight. So I, I'm going to venture to say, we're going to call this part one and we'll bring Greg back and we may have to toss chat on here with him uh, and see just, how many rabbit holes we can go down on that day? You know, nothing, nothing better than seeing Chad walking around in his uh, in his sandals. Got to give him some credit for that. So I love the Birkenstocks.
3: The Birkenstocks. Gotta love the Birks.
0: Uh, so we'll have <laughs> you know, we'll we'll bring you back to, uh, to discuss. But I, I do want to thank you, Greg from from Eric and, and Bradley, myself. You know, thank you for coming on tonight to talk about this. I hopefully uh, some of our educators have uh, taken on some new thoughts about this topic. Uh, because of this episode, but even if uh, you're a student that's out there, you know, think about it. If you're ed- interested in education, you know, develop yourself uh, even uh, just a little bit more. Go in depth. If you if you if you don't know the topic on something or you know a title on something, you know, pull that thread. Learn a little bit more. You're going to do nothing but provide better patient care for either the ones you see, or if you start to educate somebody else in the future uh you you know you will help them uh get a little bit deeper in the uh treatment of our patients as as we start to be a definitive care uh aspect from again those treat in place legislations et3 those kind of things where we are treating and, and even releasing Uh, There's a lot, mobile integrated healthcare, community paramedicine, there's many different terms. So Greg, thank you for coming on this evening. Uh, As we wrap up tonight, we like to let everybody know, make sure to go by all of our spots. So Eric is keeping our website rolling at emshandoff.com. Make sure you go by there. If you like our video episodes, uh, make sure to go by youtube.com and check out the EMS Handoff. Make sure to subscribe so you can get every episode as we release on Wednesday at noon. Uh, If you're listening to this on audio, we love to support Jim. So make sure and go by and see them at gems.com, but you can also come by to YouTube and subscribe there as well. Uh, And we always like to hear from you. And our Facebook group is one of our most active places. Come by, send a message see some of the things that are going on in the profession with our next handoff uh, coming. You'll find all of our information there at Facebook on our group, uh, the EMS handoff. And don't forget to go by whether it's the, key back podcast line that Eric's wearing, the short sleeve shirt that Bradley's got on, or the hoodie. You see me in, go buy the Pursue Company at Pursueco.com. Check out your EMS handoff merchandise. Until next week, this is David. And on behalf of my co-host, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean, take care, stay safe, and always remember the value of your EMS handoff. <laughs>